For the kingdom belongs to his sheep And your life is in the hands Of a God who never sleeps Fear not, little lamb For the kingdom belongs to his sheep And your life is in the hands of a God who Welcome back to Tending Lambs. I'm Katie. And I'm Abby. And today we're interviewing a very special guest, Michelle Lane uh, Barmapoff. I was introduced to Michelle's work almost a year ago, actually, through the director of the Montessori school I worked at um, while searching for resources for Tending Lambs uh, Facebook group members. And now I'm really pleased to have her on the show. Thank you so much. (laughs) We're great. We're really glad you're here. Uh, she's the founder of Lane Montessori School for Autism in Toronto, Canada, and was awarded the Premier's Award in recognition of her outstanding work in special education in Montessori. She currently works as a professor for the Faculty of Applied Health and Community at Sheridan College and is also a board advisor uh, for Montessori Medical Partnership for Inclusion. Welcome, Michelle. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for, again for having me. Um, yeah, so I, I live in Canada, but I do work. I'm very thankful to be able to work internationally, and I, I often work uh, with colleagues in the U.S. So that MMPI that you mentioned, Monastery Medical Partnership for Inclusion, um, I co-chair that advisory board with Dr. Joyce Pickering and um, founding members, uh, Katie and Barbara, um, just an incredible group, and they are all in the States. <laughs> so hey. our board member are from, are from Germany and Australia and different countries. Um, but yeah, a lot, of, a lot of colleagues in the US. So thank you again for having me. Yeah, that's great. We, um, yeah, I, I lived in the Netherlands for a long time, and it's kind of a lot of fun being able to talk to people all over the world. Yeah. And work yeah. with them too. It's very cool. <laughs> yeah. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience and how you came to uh, Montessori and to work with special needs children and, and more about that. Sure. Um, so yeah, I was working in the field of autism first, and um, I was um not certified behavior analyst because at the time we didn't have that, but I worked for the government in behavior therapy and I I did intensive behavioral intervention. Um, And then I uh, was led to a course in Montessori training. Um, I've always been someone who thinks a little outside the box. I used to be a musician and this is a whole other life that I don't need to rehash now, but I've always been been someone who thought outside the box. So um, I've never been a huge fan of traditional teaching, even though I've been successful, I guess, in terms of on paper, uh, but not inspired <laughs> so much. Um, so when I, the opportunity to do my monastery training, I, I thought, yeah, let me do that. And actually, I ha- was a monastery kid as a very young child. Yeah. Um, yay! <laughs> so um, it was when I did my training that uh, we had an, inclus- an inclusion curriculum. And because I'd already worked for a good decade with children with autism, and um, 
doing therapy and still looking for, and I still today, I'm always getting more education, <laughs> thirsty mm-hmm. for knowledge. <laughs> um, I, uh, at Epiphany, I was like, I need to apply. There's, I just saw a lot of similarities with, and not everyone sees it at first or maybe ever, but I saw a lot of similarities with um, behavior therapy and Montessori uh, in terms of not, not the way we teach, of course, but the, um, the structured lessons. Mm. Um, and I, I know this is for families, but things called task analysis and the way we put together the Montessori lessons are practically identical and I couldn't Mm. believe it and um and I was like there's a whole curriculum out here that goes all the way to high school (laughs) that on the healthcare professions we don't even know about and Mm. um so I started yeah the it was called the Toronto Montessori School for Autism and then we became legally not-for-profit the Lane Montessori School for Autism but um similar to funding issues we have now and uh we had some funding challenges and we closed the board closed in 2010 I would never have stopped but I think it was probably (laughs) it is what it is that's just me I I don't give up but I think they the board was probably wiser um I'm just thankful that people do uh the method of combining and inclusion uh all over the world so I don't feel so bad because I know that you know it's, it's all it's not about having a separate school that I didn't know it at the time because in ABA we would work individually one-on-one at the time with kids mm-hmm. um, and having children in inclusive models is so much better so it's better to train mm. teachers and work collaboratively with parents right we're a whole community with the child um, that's always going to be a better outcome and I don't know if I would have gotten that had yeah. I, <laughs> you know who knows um so the, um and then so from the school doing the work I got the premier's award then I got international recognition I'm like I'm still the same person <laughs> still doing the same thing get yeah. funding <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway <laughs> I digress um yeah so and uh and I love working collaboratively and and that's basically my role now and as a professor I teach autism as one of my courses and inclusion is one of the courses mm-hmm. uh, in addition to a lot of other classes. So I teach in the early childhood education as well as the educational support programs for children in public schools to high school. Um, yeah, so it's, I, like I said, I'm, I'm thankful to be able to work with people of very differing ideas and yeah. to collaborate and learn. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's, I know that for a lot of, um, a lot of gentle parents in particular, and I know you mentioned in our, in our emails that ABA can be a little bit scary. It's not exactly <laughs> yeah. something that a lot of gentle parents think about. Um, yeah. But I'd like for you to kind of explore, or explore just a little bit more how you felt Montessori and ABA worked together. Um, um, yeah, could you go into that a little bit more? Sure. Um, so a lot of it was, so when you're doing ABA therapy as a therapist and the goals are the same, you want your children to be independent. So we're, mm-hmm. so as a monastery, you want your children <laughs> to be active learners and independent and confident. So you want the same thing um, in therapy and in, in behavior therapy. And I think the issue is that um, there's such a range. So when you're working as a parent, you need to end schools because they talk to me all the time. You need to find the right match. Like, you know, there's just a wide range. But at the end of the day, you want you want to build on the child's skills. So in Montessori, um, I think one of the, 
well, I was going to talk about one of the differences, but um, I'll just say it now because it's in my head. Yeah, go <laughs> for the, it. One of the differences is that you you wait for a child to be ready. You yeah. wait, to, and, and that's for typical education, right? For children, if you're doing play-based learning as well, you, you want to provide uh, education that's of interest to the child and build on their interests. So, um, so it's a very similar concept in that regard um, because when you're interested and you're an active learner, you learn better, right, yeah. than being imposed. Um, the issue though with children on, some children, not all children on the spectrum because it's such a range, but some children uh, who are not meeting those skill levels, and I've worked with adults, all the way to adults um, on the spectrum who need to be in group homes. So I've seen, you know, children grow up and don't require the skills and the future's pretty dim. Um, you can't wait for that child, in my opinion, <laughs> you can't wait for that child to show interest because of, you know, the diagnostic. The, the diagnosis that they're structured um, and they may not want change again it depends on the child right um, but if that's holding them back that's a barrier to learning so mm. I so because I came from that world I didn't have a uh, when I work with children on the spectrum that have behavior and are really stuck I don't mind the increase in behavior you have to know what you're doing, right. <laughs> first of all, or else you can make it worse. But I don't mind going through that journey with them because I know at the end they're going to come out and they're going to learn a skill and they're going to be like, oh my gosh, I'm actually okay and I can do this next step. Mm. And I've worked with enough children where you, you don't, whereas for a parent, it's hard to, to hear your child, you know, struggle. It's very, mm. and I have kids myself, <laughs> like it's hard. I have right. three children. Um so, but the similarities, like I said, the, um, the task analysis in Montessori, every activity is structured. So you, when you give a lesson, which is different than play-based learning, which is more free flowing, mm -hmm. um, it's very structured. Like you have your mat that you take out for your work. So you have a defined work area. Right. Um, the lessons are very, are, were, they were built initially um, for children with learning differences. If you go back in history, if you're interested, you tired and say, well, especially Seguin, who worked on the, the work of the hand strengthens the mind um, and, and organizes the mind. Uh, those materials, a lot of them were already used. She create, sort of recreated it, yeah. So, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah so it's sense training. We talk about sensory, um, sense training. And she was like, if this is going to help children with learning differences, my gosh, like we should be using this with typical children. Why not everybody? Right? Yeah. And we don't have to do one-on-one -on -one teaching. We just provide it and, you know, we, we just still do the lesson, but then you can sit back and hopefully see the children explore. Right. So when I saw the structure of the lessons, I was excited, very excited and thought, oh my gosh, like our kids, because when you're a therapist, you're getting a bunch of materials and you create the lesson based on skill development. So I thought, why are we recreating the wheel, the wheel when we have, you know, centuries, literally, of, of unfortunately, not a lot of data, but of work with children uh, using the, these methods. So, and it doesn't mean it's exclusive. She even said they were only the necessary tools. So that doesn't mean we can't bring in other things into our classrooms. Right. So, 
but that's again, I, I live that way of collaboration. So, but I saw a lot of similarities in terms of lessons and also a lot of people think Montessori is just for young children and uh, yeah. it's, a, it's a separate method. It goes all the way to high school yeah. and um, it's an alternative method of education. And so, yeah, it's, um, anyways, I, obviously that's, my bias <laughs> but um but whatever you're doing regardless the idea is you want your children to be independent confident active thinkers right? yeah absolutely yeah I think that's a, a really big takeaway for me from Montessori whether or not you um yeah you agree with all the aspects of it or you choose to pursue Montessori um the Montessori method it, that's what we all want for our kids yeah uh, we all want that for our children happy happy and confident and and that they are they're able to take care of themselves right yeah. as parents that's our job is to set them up where they are now able to to be ready for society and to right. to be able to make it on their own hopefully right. <laughs> yeah uh, I know um and this wasn't in the outline I sent you exactly, but it just for okay. my personal curiosity. And I think it's, it's probably a, a interesting for other people as well. Um, that I know that the fear for a lot of gentle parents behind ABA and um, behaviorally focused um, therapies is yeah. that it's, um, well, a lot of the concern that I've heard is that can be a little bit harsh and a little bit, uh, you can have children that have not internalized the uh, lessons, but they're behaving correctly, but yeah. not internalized it. What would be your um, response to something like that? To you know, we're, we're constantly learning and evolving. <laughs> okay. Um, because I know when I first was in the field, it was much more strict in terms of you come in as a therapist and you start what we call the, the demands, like come sit at the table and, and certain things. And, and mm -hmm. it is harsh because they just met you and you wouldn't treat someone you just met and start giving them <laughs> instructions. And, you know, um, and I know that before I left, so again, I've been out of strict ABA for, for a while because I okay. started my own program, my blended program. Right. Um, but the idea that, um, we would then start pairing with the child first. So building a relationship. So that became best practice. And that's important because yeah. you wouldn't come in somewhere and start saying, look at me. <laughs> you wouldn't no. even say those words. Like it's rude. <laughs> um, and that was one of the, the instructions. We used to say, look at me. And then it was like, we would say the child's name and, and encourage them to look at us. So I think that um, even my program, um, if we had done very strict, what we call intensive behavioral intervention here in Toronto, IBI, which is part of ABA, um, if I had stuck to that very strict model, we would have actually gotten funding, which I don't know if I did the wrong thing or not in hindsight, but, oh, wow, yeah. The yeah. but the children showed me that, that even that work cycle of getting a mat, getting the work from, from the, um, from the shelf. So in a, in a typical ABA program, we at the time, we would have all the material laid out and we would just drill them over and over, go to the carpet, go to the table. I found that the kids, when they, they showed me, because you observed them, that when they took the work out on their own, and kids love the word work, because they, <laughs> we're older, we don't like it so much, but kids, you know, play, whatever you want to call it. It's for them, they enjoy it. The kids I worked with loved it. 
you could see their energy change. So I was not about to go backwards and start saying, do this, do this, when I saw that that work cycle was so important. So I think we have to be, continue to learn. Um, there's also been um, self-stimulatory behavior that people say stimming at the time. Um, we would not let a child say, you know, wave their fingers. There's things that you do that are soothing right. sensorily, but that can get, get in the way um, socially with others, right? Um, we would not let our children do that when we were therapists. Um, but since then, I've been trained in CBT therapy, cognitive behavior therapy, and this was just a couple of years ago. And I learned all about the research um, that says children need that to self-regulate. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, uh, we just have to, I think, keep learning and work together. And if a family feels that it's too harsh, try to understand where the therapist is trying to go but at the same time you know your child mm. right so we yeah. have to work together it's not I'm just gonna do what you say it's like let, let me understand what you're trying to do maybe I can't be in the room because I'm the parent and of course you're going to be different because um, we're more sensitive and I have that experience as a, as a mom myself with my own children mm. um, but if you see where they're trying to head you can decide and decide for yourself. And at the end of the day, I have families that don't, that haven't done therapy. Typical behavior and development is still happening. Mm -hmm. Some children, you know, are, are, you know, continue to develop and other children don't though, but you use your own, you have to follow what feels right. Right. Yeah. I really appreciate that you um, have, seen the benefit of combining it with Montessori and how mm -hmm. that has more than anything um, benefited the child and their development and furthering. Like, that's just so cool that working with special needs, you saw them getting their workout on the mat and actually yeah. taking those steps towards independence for themselves. Yeah. So I really just love um, the commitment to the child and not necessarily the method like I think it's really cool that you combined what you yeah. what you saw working so I love that you said that because I that's I think that should be the case for everyone you know yeah. and that's when we talk about inclusion if you're in a school you know you may have your set parameters of what you think should happen but at the end of the day it is what's best for the children yeah. in your group right so we should I think that's the lens I think we should always be using um anyhow so, <laughs> well, um, if you would like, I think uh, this is a perfect time to dive into some of the things that I um, that I've already sent to you. One of the biggest um, concerns, I think, we got most or a lot of the comments on the uh, post that we shared in our group asking for questions okay. uh, was about siblings and sibling relationships between neurotypical children and atypical children, and um, yeah, how to help those relationships flourish and encourage that. Um, I know quite a few families really struggle with, with those, those relationships and, yeah. um, yeah, maintaining peace. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's true. Well, there's a lot of things happening, right? Like you have typically the, the child that has, I just say learning difference, but whatever you, whatever you choose to, to say, that's just what my colleagues and I call on just try to be inclusive and I'm sure in 10 years that word won't be appropriate either but um, <laughs> but in terms of your your child um, who needs the additional support 
um, sometimes they take so much of your time as a parent that the sibling feels like, hello, like I'm here and, and it's hard. So I think, um, but what I do know or what I, in my experience as well as my readings, um, siblings have a really special relationship and it's gonna, it's very different. So when you look at adults who have siblings uh, and how they recall, they have a very special, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. And I will give you a link. I, I have a few links, but there is a, a movie on Vimeo, which is available right now anyways, called The Other Child. And I'll give you the link, um, which sort of shows how some families are dealing with siblings. So it's kind of nice to, to see what they have to say out of their own words. Okay. Um, but I think as much as possible, I mean, the parents have to find self-care for themselves, <laughs> you yeah. right? Like you have to find a way to fuel. And especially right now, um, where we're all, a lot of us are inside, or if you are working, you're maybe nervous to be out. Mm. Um, so you have that other additional stress. Do your best, right? Like you can't do everything, but try to find and carve out a little bit of time for yourself to, yeah. to, to replenish and give the, um, the typical, and again, I don't like using that word, but right. the other siblings or siblings, give them a little bit of time, whether it's once a week, like we're going to have like an hour of we're going to cook together or do something that you really enjoy, right? Mm -hmm. Just so there's a parent you are giving, you can't, you may not be able to give equal. Equal is not necessarily fair if right. your child that has a learning difference needs a lot more. Yeah. But I find uh, siblings as they get older, they, they know like they know that their sibling had and needed. Right. Um, if you can find, I don't know in your area, I'll ask my colleagues, but we do have sibling groups here. I'm sure there, there has to be. Um, sure, some, yeah. yeah um, so try to connect your, so your, the, the siblings with sibling groups so they can talk to other siblings going through similar yeah. situations. It gives them a lot of support. That's, that's yeah. really an interesting thing that I hadn't considered. Um, that there are sibling support groups for, for, for these types of situations. Mm -hmm. It just, it makes yeah. sense. I, my nephew, um, he, uh, he's fine now he's in remission, but he had leukemia as a child. And one of the things that I was introduced to was groups for, uh, the siblings of children yeah. that have sicknesses that are sick with cancer or what have you, because it can take so much of the parents focus yeah. and the family's focus mm -hmm. so yeah so I think making sure that you are connecting and having that carved out special time for your other you know the typically developing siblings mm -hmm. um, so that they know that you love them just tell them you know they may not right. understand but it's like you know what I love you and I care about you and I'm spending this time with you but I do have to make sure you mm -hmm. know because of whatever the, the issues are, um, but try and source them. And I'm sure right now too, you can find online groups, even uh, for young children. I mean, obviously really super young, <laughs> maybe yeah. you know, really young toddlers may not, but definitely even, uh, you know, three to six and onward um, because we have groups, um, our, our school has online like sharing of, you know, pictures and different things online every week with their classes and they love it. The kids love it. So it's just another way that while we're all inside that siblings can get a little bit of um, social, social networking, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, 
when it comes to um, specifically the interactions between the children with learning differences and their siblings um, and some of the I don't want to say sibling rivalry because it's it's a bit of a, it's a different dynamic I guess I'm sure that does play into it on some level like it does for everyone with siblings mm -hmm. um, but when it comes to I guess you could say antagonism from one or the other and uh, I've heard from a few different parents that um, there's quite a lot of fighting a lot of uh, bickering and and uh, some anger as well for between between the siblings have you ever encountered that and how did yeah. you I mean yeah. <laughs> I, I'm an only child so <laughs> I didn't have to deal with any of that but my husband is one of four boys the oldest and uh, not that it matters in our own adult experience but um, if you just look at siblings generally you see yeah. siblings that get along and some that are really at each other's throat regardless so you add on now a learning difference and that makes it that much harder mm -hmm. um again uh, i don't have a silver <laughs> wand for what can be done um if it's really serious i would i would recommend um when the pandemic is over or if there is Zoom chats or other other media, um, connecting with a CBT therapist, cognitive behavior therapist, because there are a lot of ways. Um, it's all about mindset and changing the way you're looking at it. And um, there are children. So my, my certification is for child and youth. So there are CBT therapists that do specifically work with mm -hmm. children and that can help or any type of support. I'm just speaking to my knowledge right like i'm sure there are other ways that are equally or you know beneficial right um but if it's really bad i would try to seek some outside support okay. but also i guess you'd have to decide like it doesn't have to be really bad if you feel like that your child could provide have some more support um otherwise make just talk to your kids, especially that, you know, if your children are verbal and are able to communicate what they need, um, find out as much as possible where the source of anger is coming from mm. and try to, you know, I think with kids, you know, they feel powerless. Yeah. Right. So if they don't feel like they can change anything, that's where the anger comes out. Yeah. Um, we often say behavior is communication, all behavior. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's so so if I can't communicate you with you a certain way, maybe I'm gonna start hitting or doing something yeah. else to get your attention, or I'm frustrated and I don't know how else to to share. So when you look at it as a parent uh, through the lens of communication, you're trying to tell me something instead of trying it's hard your parents it's hard yeah. not to react you know as a therapist you go home you can center um as a parent it's hard to to think in those terms but when you have a time try to to think what what is my child or children what are they trying to communicate to me and again talk to them and work something what 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 frustrates you what what can work for you and yeah. if they're young try to set up a bit of a schedule doesn't have not a tight schedule mm -hmm. you know it has to be flexible but sometimes kids especially now yeah. are going to be having cabin fever and it's all gonna I know some of our kids at the school are starting to get very antsy <laughs> and then yeah. the, house and the parents are sharing like oh my gosh and you know right. 
So, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I think that was that really helpful for me. I don't have um, multiple children right now, so it's not particularly relevant for me, but that does, um, yeah, sound like it could be very applicable. And if it is, that is something that I've said to a couple of people that, um, that seem to have problems bigger than the Facebook group can, ha yeah. can handle. It's like, it's probably time to seek outside help. Even if you're just curious, even if you're thinking, ah, this might be something that I need help with. I think it's always a good idea to. Yeah. And it doesn't, the, the therapist can tell you, you know what, this is typical. This is fine. Right. Right. <laughs> Don't worry. Right. But here's some things that you can try. Right. So mm -hmm. that's why I, I, I stopped when I thought it doesn't have to be super serious. If you're concerned right. and you're having trouble managing, that's why people are available for help, right? Yeah. Um, I will share with my children just because they come from that <laughs> that scheduling type of world, although I try to not be that much, um, because my two boys are, the, are very close in age. I would just have different days when they were younger, which day, like Monday, Tuesday, they would have their special day that you know, they would get the first bedtime story or different things. And it just, uh -huh. honestly, they never, they didn't argue because it wasn't their day. <laughs> was right, right. behaviorist in me, <laughs> but I couldn't help it. But um, we didn't have issues like that because they understood, oh, Tuesday, that's my brother's day to have uh -huh. the first. I mean, again, it's, it's, I'm not saying that's going to solve all the problems, but sometimes just giving them that priority, knowing when can help. I think that's that's definitely something that I've seen uh, even in my my toddler. If there's an expectation that X, Y, or Z is going to happen, you know, there might be a little fussing, but it's usually a like, okay, this is how it's happening. But those times yeah. when I get a little lazy or a little distracted and the kind of routine of the day flies out the window and he doesn't know yeah. what's going on, he's like demanding all sorts of things like, what's going on here <laughs> so I, yeah. I think that that yeah it's probably pretty helpful for um it can yeah. be yeah. So. yeah yeah so uh why don't we move forward i think um the next big thing was on identity and the concerns of parents um who don't really uh, know how to um yeah, can help a child feel self, feel confident and feel uh, autonomous and independent. And I think that's a really big thing for you being mm -hmm. in Montessori and uh, with what you do. Um, what are some tips that you have for instilling that positive self-identity and the independence that we want them to have? A lot of it is helping our kids with self-talk, positive self-talk, mm. uh, which we, I think as adults, can also <laughs> certainly apply, which is, Absolutely. you know, when you start getting the negative, I'm not, it's like, no, no, stop. <laughs> Tell me something positive. Um, sometimes, again, it depends on the child and the age of the child or the developmental age of the child. Um, but even at the end of the day, like, tell me three positive things that happened today. Mm. Or let's get pictures and put up three things that, you know, so you work with the developmental age, but really ch it, a lot of it is changing the mindset, yeah. essentially. Um, so those are some, some of the tools in terms of, um, I know you didn't mention this right now, but you had mentioned in the, in the questions, labeling and that kind of thing. You have yeah. to, 
you have to know your child. So again, none of these are blanket answers. Um, some children, when they know that they are on the spectrum, for example, they feel they have shared, I should say, based on research, they have shared that they are relieved yeah. because they understand why they're having a challenge mm. um, and can network with others. Mm-hmm. But the other side can happen too, where if a child knows, they might feel like they're not normal, which is not a word that we use, of course, anymore. But right. they, they feel like, oh, well, now there's something wrong with me. And um, so I, that's where you just have to kind of know your child or maybe wait. I don't want to say don't wait to tell the professionals in your life, but maybe wait to tell the child to see if that's appropriate for them or not. Um, Because once you say it, you can't go back. Right. So, um, so I don't, I don't really have a specific answer um, towards that. There, there are a few, I mean, there's so many books. Um, One book I love is called the reason I jump uh, is a really great book to share with um, we share it with some of our junior high uh, students at the school to learn about their their fellow student on the spectrum and go, oh, like this is why, you know, yeah. it's not necessarily why, but it's one person's description. Um, I think people are so much more aware of autism now than when I was in the field. I mean, nobody, it was just barely talked about. So I've been in it for, for a little while, a few decades. Yeah. Um, so, so um you know, I think people are way more understanding and accepting, but again, it's, it's knowing that you're, you're still you right. and we can always improve because some of our kids, um, you know, they get like a lot of children, but we find a lot of depression rates in adults on the mm. autism spectrum. So we have to be really careful about their mental health mm. as we do with everyone, but it's high. Yeah. Um, um, if I may share a little bit of my own personal experience um, with uh, it's self-diagnosed. So it's like really, you know, t- take it with a grain of salt. But uh, from what I've researched, I really believe that I have ADHD or I th- feel like ADD fits my, the, my thing better, but apparently the term now is ADHD across the board. So, um, and I think that I don't know if I had known when I was a child that that was the case, if that would have um, made it better. But I think if my mom had known and had responded to me accordingly, that Mm -hmm. would have made made a huge difference for me. And as I got older, I think if I had known and had some coping mechanisms and a support group and like people around me uh that could help me deal with it I think it probably would have been better so on that note in terms of like labeling as a young child it it possibly could have been detrimental for me to know like I have this stigma like oh no I'm different or I'm Mm -hmm. whatever but I think it really is important for parents to, parents need to have the diagnosis. I think that Absolutely. is extremely important. 
the parents and the people like the teachers staff everyone needs to you need to work with people who care yeah <laughs> not that are like oh you have a diagnosis you can't come to our school and I apologize for any families who've experienced that but I those are the kind of calls I get hey, Michelle can you help talk to the teachers um and a lot of teachers are very inclusive so I'm not in any way saying that that uh, the majority aren't most teachers want to be helpful but they also need tools right they need to know yeah. where to go for the resources yes. um and so um that's really important that everyone understand and again like i said and like you're sharing um you have to I, I don't know i don't have the answer if it's good to share with the child um because there has been the po the very positive, like I oh, okay, I get it, <laughs> now yeah. I understand, uh, and then the other where it's like oh no, like but again you can support it with the mindset of we talk a lot about people first language in my one of my courses where you're not your diagnosis and um, you find in autism especially people will say autistic individual and I think that's because the diagnostic was autistic disorder. But after 2013, when the DSM-5 came out, it was autism. Mm -hmm. And so you, you want to say child with autism, you wouldn't, right? Like it's the language. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, if you're an adult or if you are someone who's diagnosed and you want to say I'm autistic, of course, that's your right. <laughs> you know, you do how you feel. But as a professional referring, see the child, the person first, because we're all, all other things, but first you're who you are mm -hmm. and that kind of takes away some of that labeling a little bit mm. and it's a shift in mindset not for the student but for the child but for all of us right right yeah that actually kind of relates to a question I wanted to ask about just um, for myself for sure but also just for anyone who may be listening and does not have um, a child with a learning difference or um, you know, is maybe just very removed from this world. Um, mm -hmm. what, what suggestions would you have for someone like me who doesn't have a, um, child in that situation, but I certainly do in my church and, um, like, you know, maybe extended family or, um, friends with children who are going through this, like what suggestions would you have, not just for supporting the parent of the child, but actually supporting and interacting with and befriending the child themselves as well? Yeah, um, if I think I understand what you're asking is, um, there's so much that we can do in terms of changing the way we think as a community. So a lot of, um, a lot of the barriers to inclusion, which is yeah. best practice for kids of all different, of all of us <laughs> really to be together, is to understand and to accept others, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, whether it's a learning difference or diversity or, or what have you, um, other diversity, I should say. And um, so knowing who you are, but but teaching your, your kids and yourself through, I mean, my, I'm always educating and taking courses, learning, um, professional development, but understanding, um, and sharing with your kids that, you know, we're not all the same. Mm -hmm. I come from a blended family. I won't get into the details, but we're very blended in, in every way. Um, and I try to show our kids and I come from that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and I learned that it doesn't, really matter you know you who you are 
Mm. but other people can be different and we can still love and be kind to one another, you know? And I think um, those are things that will help that other child who's at church or, you know, um, instead of, you know, necessarily befriending, um, you can certainly do that as well. But, um, but just that the, the families don't feel excluded when they go to public places. Cause that's a big thing. Um, yeah. when I talked about stimming before, that's not necessarily a problem for the child. That's a problem for the, the class that it's distracting. Well, you know what, if that helps them self-regulate, shouldn't we change how we think about it? Right. So, um, I don't know. Um, I think just continuously educating and being open and, and that doesn't mean you have to change who you are, but to say, you know, this world is filled with wonderful different people. And, um, I know for one of my research, I had, uh, one of my participants I had interviewed, she had shared, um, the analogy of a garden, that we're all, you know, wouldn't it be boring if we were all like the same flower in the same pot of soil? Like, isn't it nice there are trees and, and roses and other colored flowers and grass? And so, um, so for young kids, that can be a way of sort of exploring it. And then as children get older, I know my kids, they are very aware of differences and I mm -hmm. try to, yeah, and they're, they're pretty good, but you know, we model. Yeah. Um, I don't know yeah. if that was your don't know if that quite answered your question. Oh, yeah, that does. Um, okay. Especially just like I have done research, especially just in gentle parenting about um, supporting friends who have children in that situation and empathizing with them. But I think sometimes, um, especially if you weren't raised to uh, not necessarily be rude towards um, children yeah. with learning differences, but you just weren't raised around it or your family maybe of origin was just a little insensitive to it. Um, I think it, I think honestly, it can be difficult to know how to interact with children in that situation, yeah. um, whether they're in your Sunday school class or what have you. And um, I just, I, it breaks my heart hearing from families, especially in the church who feel excluded um, and their children mm -hmm. maybe feel excluded from Sunday school because the teacher just, hasn't ever had to work with a child in that situation. So I just yeah. find that so important because that's a support system for that family. That's an interesting point. When I first started my school, we were, we were run out of um, a private house. We were definitely excluded. And then I moved it into uh, two um, regular Montessori accredited Montessori schools and we rented from the school and again it was still exclusive because we had our own classroom which I don't feel is best practice but um it depends on the behavior some of our kids had quite serious behaviors um, mm. that we needed you know they were safety concerns uh, yeah. but we got but we got those down but my point being that our families the reason why I changed it was our families were excluded like they were totally isolated yeah and I was like no no we need to be part of a community and yeah. so I think um making sure that you know you have events events and you invite those families and think about could we provide some kind of child care for their children because they're gonna be worried about yeah I'd love to come but you know I don't know how my child's gonna behave um yeah I mean there's so many things but at least they don't feel excluded yeah you know or even right now see so if you can set up a chat online after certain hours right if they're if they're available just so that they feel that okay 
you, you do care about me. And then when you get to know them, just say, I don't, I would ask and say, how, what is the best way for me to support you? Mm-hmm. But I mean, don't, don't do it when you don't know them. It's <laughs> like, why are you asking me that? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> but as you get, you know, as you casually get to know, just say, you know, I really care about, about your family. Is there anything I can do? Or just develop the relationships with the parents. And if you have, if your kids are having parties, invite their child. Yeah, yeah. that's important. Um, well, one of the questions that we had on here um, is about teaching um, children with learning differences uh, self-advocacy um, and autonomy, especially, I mean, we know children who face these challenges are unfortunately at higher risk for being abused. And so what are some ways that you equip children and their families to um help these individuals advocate for themselves? Um, so interestingly, I, I do a lot with teachers, teaching them <laughs> how to help the parents advocate um, so that as educators, we're not saying, or even therapists, we're not saying, when you come here, this is what I want you to do. Because that's putting the family in a passive mm. um, mode. So that's why collaboration is so, so important and all the research shows that it's beneficial. Uh, the parents know their children the best. Yeah. So getting the parents on board to learn how to advocate. So saying like, can you find, you know, I'm going to look for some agencies or I have a list. Can you look up if you have time, of course, you know, some parents don't have the, the time, but if you know, work with the families, is there anything, any resources that you have that you want me to look at? Um, just so that the parent feels, some parents are very equipped to know more than we do. I can assure you, <laughs> I've worked with, you know, we're like, because that's their child and they have, you know, they've really um, sort of gone ground running. But, um, but a lot of parents don't know, just like a lot of educators don't know. No. And, um, and so we need to just bring them on board and say, you look up a couple of things, let's try to implement it so that you help develop empowerment in the family. Mm. So when the children are young, that's what you're going to do. And then as they get older, again, it depends on the the developmental level of the child. There's some children on the spectrum that we're looking at the group homes, like they're not able to Mm. communicate and their skill level is at a I don't know how you would self-advocate. You're going to need your family member, Mm. but there are a lot of individuals on the spectrum that are, not in that range. Um, And so giving the child that advocacy, tell me, how do you want to do your work? Let's work on a visual schedule together. Let's work on a social story. Um, Carol Gray is a renowned social story, writing up stories of, um, these are, if you have a, a problem, you write it up as a story as opposed to these are, these are other methods <laughs> besides yeah, ABA. Sorry, I'll give the links to these two, um, where the child or, or the, st- the older student is working on this story with you. So it's not, mm. right? So they feel like I have a say, I'm going to learn even what time of day do you want to work on this particular skill? And that builds advocacy. That builds, because you need to be very confident, right, yeah. to, to advocate. So you want to give choice, but choices that are, not too challenging mm. and they're built for success so you build upon that yeah mm. but very important to have because um it's it's a it's a long tall mountain to climb uh it's hard enough when you have typical 
kids, let alone children that have a learning difference. It's, uh, and the more severe, the harder it is, I think, for a lot of families. So yeah. we have to uh, equip them yeah. with these little milestones of success of, oh, good, you, you found this center, I'm going to call them. Maybe they're not great. <laughs> Who knows? But right. just, just include it. Ask the parents. Mm. And then ask the child. Yeah, I can see that it actually, funnily enough, it just brought to mind uh, how so many Montessori families, you know, the, the children will come into the school with these crazy outfits because they've chosen the outfit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, and I love it. It's fantastic. These children running around with the craziest outfits and they just yeah. rocking it. And it, it makes me think of that in, in like developmentally appropriate ways, giving them autonomy like yeah. safe ways with you there as support like that is such an important way to build autonomy in any child yeah because you know there are there are a lot of parents who feel that their children need to be presented in a certain way because it reflects on them as a parent right, right. they need to be quaffed and you know you want your children of course they should be clean and everything right. <laughs> that idea that that yeah you know what these these two colors may not have been the best choice together, but you chose it and you're young and you do what you, you know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I know I see that in Montessori quite a bit other than other schools where you're like, um, it's okay, there are three, it's all right. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Not be so, they will not be socially shamed right now. <laughs> right, no, no way. No. Um, so why don't we move on to the last topic of resources and treatment. Um, this is the other big one. Um, and one of the things that came up was um, finding resources for people that are in more rural situations. Um, it's kind of relevant for everyone right now in quarantine. You know, you don't really have the same type of access that you would normally have uh, even in a big city. Um, what are your thoughts about that? Do you have some tips for that? Um, so... I am from a different country. I know some of the resources here, but of course online resources are, are becoming more and more prevalent because of what's happening to all of us, which I think is a, a, one of the very few positive things. <laughs> um, and uh, I guess mainly um, what I was, mainly the things that I can share that, that I'm part of is, is MMPI, for example, which I know not all your families are Montessori families. Again, it, I don't think it matters. It matters that you want the best for your child and you take what works and you, you know, if that doesn't sound right, you don't use it. Um, but we have a website, Montessori for number four inclusion.org. I will send you that, um, that information. So there's free membership. There's, community blogs. Again, that, that organization is an American organization. I do sit on the advisory board as a co-chair. Um, but we have videos, we have peer-reviewed articles, um, just, you know, evidence-based information to try to help our families. Um, so there, and so that's one support network that I am involved in. Um, the other one I was thinking of um, was I know here, and they're available online. They're called uh, look-see checklists. They used to be called Nipissing. Um, the oh gosh, I forgot the the old title, but it was a <laughs> developmental screening. And I was thinking of it because they. I know that it used to be free. I don't know if it still is, 
but um, there are different screenings for the, the age group of your child. And so you can sort of see, is my child needing, this is one page of, um, I'll give you the, the website, but it's, okay. um, it's, it's basically looksechecklist.com. And um, so from age, I think, six months to six years, they have guidelines of what your child should be doing, like developmentally. So that if they're not meeting that skill, that's the time to call like a healthcare professional. Okay. Um, anyone can use these parents. We actually encourage parents or schools. So just something that if you're a parent at home, you're in a rural area, you don't have someone coming out and you don't know, right. is, is my child meeting these sort of uh, developmental milestones, at least is something that you can do on your own um, or get your sibling <laughs> if they're older <laughs> to help you fill out if that's appropriate. Um, and uh, they also give some suggestions on what you can do to build certain skills. So mm -hmm. just it's just another um, resource. Um, um, Carol Grace socialstories.com she has you know where you can work on if, if at home there's a certain issue that's coming up or you want to work on something for when they go back to school mm -hmm. um, you want to work on she has guidelines and and support there um, I'll see what other I literally just finished this is our last day of the term at the college <laughs> so I know you sent these to me but um, I'll I'll be able to provide some more thought to um to online but they're all popping up now mm -hmm. so um yeah and I, don't I, worry I, about <laughs> yeah we're, we're really uh, thankful for everything that you can provide it's really great thank you That's and okay. we'll put those in our show notes for our okay. audience yeah no problem yeah, okay yeah um one other question <clears throat> was how to pursue thorough identification of co-occurring conditions and um, I've never been in this situation, so I'm not uh, super familiar with exactly what she's, what she's meaning, but I'm assuming advocating for a therapist looking more in depth at co-occurring -occur conditions. Um, yeah, do you have any thoughts about that? Is that um, well, I was just thinking it might be uh, where like autism and uh, ADHD, they used to say could not co-occur. And now in the DSM-5, they do co-occur. And we all kind of thought it did because there were a lot of similarities. Um, but officially, it, it didn't. Mm -hmm. um, and that you'll see those changes as you, as you see the diagnostics uh, change over time. Mm -hmm. um, so it might be more about Actually, I'm not really sure, but right now they do and you can get a, an assessment because, um, you know, without assessments, it's hard to get funding mm. to get support. So I'm, I'm wondering if that might be what she's asking. Possibly. Mm. Um, it, it, that was really the extent of the question. Uh, pursuing thorough identification, how to pursue a thorough identification of co-occurring conditions. Mm. Um, so that sounds more to me like the the assessment team so she would have to have an assessment like the the doctors do an actual diagnosis of the of her child okay. um but when it turned but if she's talking about the team when when we think about um you know my background's in behavior therapy um now you'd have to be what we say bcba to get your your um your insurance <laughs> to, to cover yeah. 
um, and you want to make sure you get people that you that you like minded um, or speech or occupational therapist. So I know I work in collaboration with with different uh, therapies mm -hmm. and we all do something very different. So it's just like the Montessori. We we look at the child. We want the same goals, but we're yeah. we have a different way of getting there. And that's why I say uh, this is how I do it based on my background. But it doesn't mean it's the definitely not the be all end all. There's mm -hmm. someone else who may have a different or better way. Um, and I think it's best when um, everyone everyone sort of shares what they think and we put it together and then we decide together what's the best step. So one, uh, there's a school in Germany called Axion Sun and Shine. It's the first inclusion school in the world <laughs> uh, from like grade kindergarten all the way to grade 10. And uh, we had uh, them come over, the doctors come over for the first time last year uh, in Milwaukee. And uh, they, um, Dr. Hellberger, who headed up this this training center, and he worked actually um, with uh, Mario Montessori back in the day. Uh, oh. um, so that's a whole other. <laughs> for those of you that are Montessori, that's going to be very exciting. For those that of you don't, you will be like, I don't know what you're talking about. But he would talk about. Um, he, he did social pediatrics, a, a doctor, and um, he talked about everyone being at a round table. So instead of someone sitting at the head of the table, like we are all here to figure out okay this is what I come to the table with this these are the strategies I think would work and then at the end of the time the day the parent is the main person who's going to take this and go okay which direction you know am I going to go with my child but that we are all sharing and collaborating because we all do come from different points of view right yeah, yeah. and maybe I don't know if that's what she's talking but you really want to get the team together and get a team that will work together. That's the hardest part. Right. <laughs> Getting the team to work well together. <laughs> I think that probably is, now that I'm thinking about it, it may, it may have something to do with um, a parent who feels the diagnosis is incorrect or insufficient and uh, yeah. pursue, further pursuing. Um, that happens. I mean, a lot of times there's some diagnoses you can't get till later in life. So for autism, you would the symptoms had to have occurred before the age of three. So you, you okay. might get diagnosed later, but as long as what happened was happening before the age of three. Um, but there are some other diagnoses um, like ADHD or that would come later. Um, and so sometimes because they look, some things that can look a little similar may not be the initial diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And there's actually, I'll send you a link to another video um, of this uh, woman who was diagnosed at the age of 35. It's a great, it's a TED talk. It's phenomenal. And um, they completely didn't know what she had, had her on a variety of different drugs until she oh. finally found out she was on the autism spectrum. So, oh. you know, I don't want to scare a family, <laughs> you know, um, but it does happen. So if you and your gut feel like this doesn't feel right, then you just, right? Like you, you keep, maybe don't go right away see mm -hmm. what happens see if there's any improvement and then if you don't feel like it's the right thing go back and try to get another assessment done because mistakes mistakes are made I mean it's a behavioral assessment right and maybe this so, change from yeah this yeah. hour to that hour and maybe maybe even a second opinion uh, a second opinion yeah okay so well this has been really 
really amazing. I'm so thankful to you for coming on the show um, and was very thrilled when you responded with a yes. That's <laughs> um, where we all. <laughs> we've just, actually, we've been wanting to do this episode. Um, this season we're going through just, you know, dental parenting teens and just kind of people who a lot of our audience has younger uh, neurotypical children. And so we're trying to reach the outliers this season. And yeah, that's good. People who may not, I mean, there actually are a lot of gentle parents of, of children who have um, learning difficulties um, because they found that other, you know, punitive parenting methods just weren't working. But um, yeah, we're just trying to reach all the kind of outliers that we haven't gotten to yet. So it was really exciting to find someone um, that could speak to the things that Katie and Sam and I can't really. So uh, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you. I just wanted to add to the punitive piece. Um, you know, therapy even should not be punitive, right? Like even when you're looking in some of the challenges, even when we first yeah. started our conversation, um, the child may have what we call a behavior uh, extinction burst, which is where they go through like even worse behaviors because they're so frustrated and then they find out it didn't work. So you need to know what you're doing, but it's not meant to be punitive. It's meant to get that child over overcoming this fear that they have for whatever reason mm. and to say, look, it was okay. And now you can do this. Mm. So, but you got to be careful because there are some, some behaviors that they use punitive measures and yeah. I do not advocate for that at all. Um, it should be still fun and rewarding. Um, we might go through some challenges together, but that's life, right? Growth sometimes feels uncomfortable, but then we come out the other side. So I like that you mentioned um, the punitive side because we, we don't, I certainly, that's not the goal is for your children to be successful, happy, and, and also for you to, feel like okay we've we've achieved we've grown together yeah amen okay thanks so much for listening to tending lambs there's always so much more that can be said so if you'd like to continue the conversation please join us in the tending lambs facebook group we're also on facebook at facebook.com slash tending lambs instagram at tending lambs and for show notes, our blog, and other gentle parenting resources, check out tendinglambs.com. If you're a fan of this podcast and would like to help us continue creating content, we now have a Patreon. We'd love it if you would consider supporting us through that platform. As a patron, you'll be supporting the podcast, blog, and entire Tending Lambs community. But not only that, you'll receive lots of fun perks as well. Sign up to support us at patreon.com slash tendinglambs. And as always, until next time. <laughs>